Hello and welcome to episode 55 of the 40 Athletes Live podcast. I'm your co-host Jason Holzer along with Jimmy Huber. Jimmy, good morning to you. Good morning, Jason. Uh, you're you're back at uh, in Kansas City, so welcome back, buddy. Yeah, back from my uh, trip off the East Coast. It was a nice, uh, it was a fun town, New York City. Got to see a lot of great stuff. Uh, but man, it always feels good coming back home. I will say that you know, Midwest is uh, is a good place to be come home to. You know, so home sweet home, home, home sweet, sweet home. home. Right there, you go. Well, Jimmy, you know, hey, every episode we bring on guests that that make our lives better in some way, some asset. And today's guest, Jake Von Scher, has done amazing things as an athletic director, as a coach, and as a teacher. Um, he would, He's the host of the Educational AD Podcast. He's a director of Victory Athletics, the author of the Athletic Director's Toolbox, which I read some of on my way back from the flight, picked up some great tips like always have a tape measure with you, which is an interesting hmm. one. My wife would be interested to know that since she does a lot of uh... – uh, tidy work around the house so that's that's interesting about the tape measure and by the way i don't know if you know this too he was like 12 times coach of the year as well so that's was he really yeah. yeah and he was uh you know he has over 40 years of experience as a teacher head coach and athletic director so uh i think we got a pretty insightful guest here today so we're going to bring him on here jake good morning to you Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, what a tremendous introduction. I, I, I don't know if I can live up to all those accolades, uh, but uh, appreciate it. The thing well, I, I want to figure out, Jake, real quick on that, Jason, is like 40 years in the business, and the guy's got good hair. I mean, look at him. I mean, myself, he's got more experience than both of us combined, and I don't have the hair, and he does. So we need to figure out that, that health-wise, how you take care of yourself in that great way, too. Well, especially, uh, you know, since he's probably been in more like hair pulling situations for being that long as an AD, as a coach, as a teacher. I mean, that's it's impressive. Uh, Jake, uh, how, how are things in uh, sunny South Florida today? Uh, it's a it's a beautiful day. Uh, I'm looking out my window here and uh, uh, 16th Fairway is, is calling to me. So uh, it, it's just I'd like to say uh, my career has been living the dream. And now that I've retired, uh, I get to continue to do that. So, um, yeah, it's great living in Florida. Yeah. Uh, well, let's dive right in. You know, uh, as an athletic director, you've been, and as the host of the Educational AD Podcast, um, you have a lot of knowledge, wisdom, insights. What have you found to be, like, some of the best characteristics? Like, if somebody wanted to become an athletic director, what were some of the things that, you know, they would need uh, to be a great athletic director? Oh my goodness. Uh, I just did an interview yesterday and we were talking about that. You know, um, the, my guest and I had similar paths. He's a little bit younger than me, but um, all the things that he had done throughout his career, you know, high school, college and beyond, uh, I was just checking in my mental checkbox. Well, geez, I did that. I did that. And so that question comes up so often, how do you become an AD? Um, it's, it's really that uh, being open to opportunities and then really embracing those opportunities. Um, I know it's not the fashion now, but a uh, hundred years ago when I graduated from college, uh, I wanted to be a coach. And I, I, I knew that um, I also had to be a teacher if I wanted to be a coach. So uh, I said, okay, I'll, I'll get my teaching degree. And I exaggerate a little bit, but um during those interviews, it was, uh, well, what can you coach? And um, uh, my response was, what do you got? 
and it seems nowadays it's more, well, uh, if I can't be the varsity basketball coach right out of the shoot, you know, I don't want the job. And, and so I just think it's being open to those opportunities. And then once you get them, uh, embrace them and, and do the best you can uh, within that, you know, asking questions, you know, finding that uh, experienced AD, that experienced coach, that experienced teacher, even if it's out of your field, you know, maybe they're the biology teacher, the English teacher, and just getting in their uh, ear and asking, you know, how do you do this? How do you get organized? How do you motivate kids? And just adding those, to coin a phrase, tools to your toolbox, uh, I just think are so critical uh, uh, to help you along the way. Hey, Jake, I, I was impressed by, you know, by things you've done, but definitely being 12 times coach of a year. I mean, that's, that's big time to me. And that shows like not only success on the court, but off the court. My question for you is when you started coaching, uh, things are maybe a little bit different than they were at that time. Right. Can you tell me like, what were the things you did as a coach that helped you have success? And what are the things that you've seen lately that has changed that you recommend coaches today to do? to continue to have success and be impactful with the student athletes you're working with? Well, uh, I, I guess talking about the success that I've been very fortunate to have, um, a lot of it really early on was not by design. It, it just happened. I was very fortunate to have some great coach mentors to learn from and, you know, even, make a mistake and have one of those mentors, you know, slap me around and say, Hey, don't do that. This is how you should do it. Um, I had some great assistant coaches, uh, some wise assistant coaches that tolerated my inexperience as a head coach and as a leader that helped me become a better leader and a better head coach. You know, the phrase, you know, you don't know what you don't know. That was me in my first couple of head coaching jobs, but I had some great assistants to hold my hand, kick me in the butt, pat me on the back, whatever it took. And also I had some great kids. Um, you know, you, you, you can't, uh, you, you've got to have some degree of talent. I would always tell my coaches as a, let's say a wiser AD, uh, anybody can coach that all-star team. Uh, of blue chippers, you know, you need to, we need to develop the kids that we have and, and maybe take that kid that, you know, maybe he's a, a one star or a no star and coach that kid up so that they can have help our team have success. And then in turn, they're going to have success as an individual. It just kind of feeds on each other. So again, having, you know, that support system as a coach uh, and then again, as an AD, having great kids, um, learning those hard lessons along the way, uh, just, you know, being open. And uh, I guess you talked about, you know, things that have changed, um, listening. Um, I, I learned far too late in my career, the importance of listening and, and taking that wisdom, um, as opposed to, ah, I know what I'm doing. So, um, I don't know if that answers your question, but those are the things that kind of stick out for me. Yeah, it does, because I think, you know, and I know coaches, we can have our egos involved, right? Absolutely. And we think we know what should be done. But what you mentioned to me is you were open initially when you started coaching to allow your coaches to hold you accountable to assistant coaches, to allow them to tell you certain things that you need to be told. And I see sometimes coaches aren't willing to do that. 
because of what's his pride, what's ego, what makes him look that they're not as maybe a good of a coach. Can you kind of speak to that and the humbleness you talked about as being open to listen and allow your assistance to help you become better? Well, again, as a younger assistant coach, I had my first head coaching job when I was 25. And again, it was one of the, it was clearly you don't know what you don't know um, and had some success. But then um, a few years later, I, I became an assistant at a larger school. And it was a tremendous learning experience um, at both ends. Um, saw some great things that I learned and, and put away to use later. And also a couple of things that I, I just said, Gee, I don't know if, if, if I want to be that as a head coach. Um, here's one of the examples, you know, we're having a coaches meeting one time and it was a pretty good give and take. Um, but at one point our head coach said, made this comment to one of the other assistants. Uh, he said, Hey, remember the first three letters of your title, um, you know, ASS, you know, and it was kind of a, a, a put down. And I'm just thinking, you know, you didn't have to say that, um, you know, let's, you know, let's try to build our coaches up. Uh, and it, it wasn't the coach hadn't said anything wrong. It was just saying, you know, Hey, I, I think we should do this. And it was an open give and take. So it was just seeing those examples uh, looking across the field, at the opposing coaching staff and hearing comments like, again, I was a football track guy. Um, you hear a coach yell in the middle of a game, you know, is anybody going to make a tackle or come on, you got a block. Um, and I, I just, I would tell my coaches later on at the different positions. I never want to hear you say that, you know, your job is to teach them how to tackle, you know, tell them to, Hey, you got to lead with your shoulder, rip those arms through uh, lock up, drive the legs. Um, you know, blocking, you know, don't say, are you ever going to block somebody? Say, come on, you got to punch, you got to drive those feet, you know, rip and zip to the second level. Um, you know, you, you're a coach and darn it, you should be coaching those kids. Give them something to go back on the field and have success with. You know, don't be that fan in the third row saying, is anybody going to tackle? You know, just little things like that, that uh, I was able to see and and fortunately file away for future use. I think those are the things that helped me uh, as a head coach and then later as an AD. Hey, something I want to get into on that is I, I've experienced being at the college level and, you know, kind of at the you know, high school type levels. And I've seen administrators, ADs that allow coaches to act like idiots mm -hmm. and they don't say anything to them or hold them accountable. I, I experienced that in college. We a coach I coached for and he did some things. I'm like, oh my God, but he would never be held accountable for that. So my question to you is this, what is your kind of encouragement recommendation for ADs, administrators, of how to basically um, help make your coaches become better and hold them accountable? What are ways that you suggest they go about doing that? Well, I, I think it starts from the very beginning. Um, you know, you, uh, you've got to walk the walk yourself. You know, as you know, if you talk to any of my former players, uh, they would probably say that, you know, Coach Von Scheer was a yeller. Uh, he was a screamer. But beyond that, they would say uh, he was yelling encouragement. You know, come on, you can do better. Um, you know, he was screaming encouragement. He was screaming instruction. You know, those things that I just talked about for tackling and blocking. You know, I, I coached at high volume because that was just kind of who I was, um, you know, that you know, just wear those emotions on the sleeve. But it wasn't, 
you know, oh, you idiot or, you know, or that type of thing. So, um, and I would tell as an AD, I would tell our coaches that, you know, coach loud, coach quiet, you know, be yourself, but let's coach instruction, you know, let's coach enthusiasm, let's coach, you know, sportsmanship. To me, sportsmanship is just competing within the rules uh, as hard as you can. Uh, and if, if a coach has a, a misstep, and I've had coaches you know, have missteps before, you just say, you know, hey, you know, uh, I understand, you know, you got emotional, can't do it. Uh, this is what we're going to do. And uh, if it was a 15-yard a penalty, um, you know, I, I just say, this is not who we are. Uh, this is not our school. Uh, I don't want to see it again. Uh, and most of the time that took care of it. You know, very few times, um, you know, we, you know, we sat an assistant coach down once uh, for a game to say, hey, you know, we, we told you we can't have this. Um, in our one thing that I picked up late in my career um, in the state of Florida, if a coach or a player gets ejected, um, it's for a player, depending on what it is, uh, you know, it's usually a one game mandatory suspension. Uh, if a coach gets ejected, like a basketball coach gets a second technical or something, they've got to sit out for three games. Um, I told our coaches when I first arrived that, you know, this was, you know, my philosophy and this was going to be our philosophy, whatever the state penalty is, you know, if it was one game or two games for a player, our penalty is going to be double that. So if the state gives you two, you're going to be sitting out four. Uh, and I just said, this is who we are. Um, you know, I'm hiring you to coach. I'm not hiring you to critique the officials. Uh, I'm hiring the players or hiring, <laughs> you know, we're, uh, uh, enrolling our players, private school, uh, to play, you know, you play the game. Uh, we don't get to play anymore. Okay. So we get a coach or we get to be an AD. So it's just having that policy, communicating it clearly so everybody knows. And I would meet with our teams every single year, every single season, and just, hey, we're glad you're out here. We love you wearing the blue and white um, and one or two other things. And then I say, just a reminder. Uh, and I would couch it within, you know, our goal is to, and I point around the gym, our school is very successful, uh, all the state championship banners. Uh, I said, our, our goal is to hang another banner. But our goal is to also hang one of those banners. And I'd point over to the four uh, sportsmanship banners that we had earned over the years that it's the only award in the state of Florida that goes beyond a trophy. It's a $3,000 check to the school who wins that sportsmanship trophy. And, and we tell them, you want to be spending part of that $3,000 when we earn it. And if you get an ejection or if we get a 15-yard penalty, that was my own self uh, penalty, uh, we're not eligible to apply for that award. And, and so we would couch that our goal is, you know, we, we don't want penalties, you know, we don't want ejections, things like that. And, you know, there's a tangible carrot out there that $3,000, but basically is we don't want to be that school that everybody points at. Oh, you know, those guys, you know, that just, uh, we didn't want that label. We wanted the other label that we compete, we play hard, uh, we win, uh, but we do it the right way. Hey, you mentioned hiring and Jason and I, we've talked about this, like the NCAA, there's what, $533 million. I just heard that dead money, a dead money of paying coaches that aren't even coaching just to pay them to go do something else. My question for you is as an administrator, 
what tips can you give to an individual who's going through like hiring coaches, what to look for to find quality coaches that are going to stay and be there and not you have to fire them and pay them to leave? Well, you know, I heard that report and, uh, you know, my, my son who was, uh, you know, a high school and college athlete, um, uh, we were both just kind of going, wow. And uh, he was a football track person in college. And I said, boy, that 500 million, you know, that could, you know, buy a couple tracks or a new pole vault pit, or maybe the gymnastics team needs something. I mean, that's just great, crazy money. Um, and college is certainly different than, uh, than high school, but, you know, from a high school standpoint, you know, your hiring field is, is certainly not uh, as robust as, um, you know, what colleges can go after. Um, you know, we're looking for people that, you know, want to coach, first of all, uh, that can commit to the schedule of coming to practice and not just rolling up uh, on game day, you know, like, a, let's say, a club program. Uh, and then they're going to be good representatives of your school, all the things that I just got done talking about. And, and that's a tough fit. And, and they're going to be doing it uh, for far less than what a college coach is going to be making. And it's, and it's not like the, you know, the division three assistant, you know, women's basketball coach is, is making bank uh, at, at that job. So it, there, there's just so many challenges out there. You got to find somebody that loves the game, that loves the kids, that's willing to work um, those crazy hours and then also uh, buy in to what you're selling as an administrator. It, it, it's tough. There's no question about it. You know, you talked about a lot of a lot of your guests talked about having balance and and sleeping and taking care of yourself. You know, as an AD job, I mean, it's it's almost feels like you feel like round the clock is sometimes like there's emails coming in, there's incidents that happen. How are you able to find balance in a job that that feels like around the clock at certain times? Well, I, I guess there's two ways to look at that, or maybe there's five ways. I don't know. But um, the the way that I tried to approach the job, the challenges of the job is the, the expression, uh, boy, it sure beats working for a living. Um, you know, as a young person, I, I spent time out in the real world, uh, summer jobs and things like that. And uh, I was just very fortunate to be a teacher, to be a coach, and then to be an AD. You know, I just loved it. Uh, yeah, there's challenges of, you know, parents and things like that, but that's the job, you know, and, and if you don't understand that and embrace it, you know, maybe it's not for you. So talking about the balance, um, you know, you're there early in the morning, um, you're there frequently late at night, uh, you know, 1030, 1045, turn out the lights in the gymnasium and uh, picking up that last uh, popcorn uh, bag and uh, spilled soda before you go home. Um, so that's there, that's part of the job. I think the, the best in our profession, um, make time. They create that balance. Um, I was fortunate that, you know, my wife was a career coach, um, you know, cross country track and teacher, all three of our kids uh, were involved in sports. Uh, and I think they had a pretty good time. Uh, and so a lot of those, evenings where we were at a game, you know, they were at a game uh, too, because it was their game. We were watching it. Um, I, I can say, and I've shared this many times that uh, I, I brought the job home, you know, as far as the workload and, and occasionally the emotions, 
way too much, uh, way too much. Uh, and, and that's something that I should have done a better job at. Uh, so it's the challenges are there, but um, it, it's just something that you're going to make time for family and whether it's, you know, that family vacation or, you know, uh, every Thursday night we're got family night or something. Uh, the, the best of our profession, they're the ones that make that balance occur. I know something you mentioned too, Jake, you talked about like, you know, challenges and, and stress can come with challenges, right? And one of the challenges you mentioned is dealing with parents. And as you know, and I know parents can be a challenge. And right now with what's going on in the world today, we have so much division, right? Everybody's got different opinions on stuff. What would be your suggestions to athletic directors and coaches, the best way to communicate with parents to try to get them on board that we're working together, not against each other? Again, it goes, I think it goes back to communication. Um, You know, if you're, uh, coming on board as an athletic director or even as a head coach. Obviously, the head coach is going to communicate with their AD. But as an AD, um, what's the culture of the school? Uh, is it in need of a change? I, I took a position um, several years ago at a private school, and the, the head of school uh, said, Jake, uh, that athletic department is the Wild West. They're going to need a firm hand. And it was successful, but, you know, we did have, um, you know, I, I use this in a, uh, a, a friendly way. We had some rogue coaches and, uh, you know, they needed, Hey, I love what you do with kids, but you know, this is what we're doing as a program. And I think sometimes coaches need to re- be reminded that, you know, it's not just the take your pick. It's not just the softball program. It's not just the football program. Um, these are all players within our athletic department team. Um, so again, creating that athletic philosophy, um, communicating it to the coaches, make sure, making sure that the coaches are following through on that. And then during your, you know, seasonal meetings, yearly meetings, parent meetings, uh, you're also reinforcing those components and whether it's something as basic as playing time, because when that phone rings and a parent wants to talk to you, uh, regardless of what they say it's about, 90% of the time, it's about playing time. Uh, so have your philosophy. And if your playing time philosophy is we just play the starters, um, the heck with everybody else, you know, we're, we cut at 12, the heck with those 60 kids that tried out for the team. If that's your philosophy, that's fine. But make sure you communicate it to everybody so they know what's going on. If you preach playing time. Oh yeah. Playing time's important. And we're going to get everybody in. And then your coaches don't follow through on that. That's where those headaches and those challenges come. Um, we were very clear on uh, our playing time philosophy for varsity, for JV and for middle school, because we had middle school teams. We were very clear on uh, practice. You know, practice is not optional. Okay. You know, you need to be a practice. You know, we were an academic school and we understood that things come up and we had ways to deal with it. But, but that communication from AD to everybody, from coach to team, from player to coach, okay, uh, we were very proactive. Uh, I heard a phrase years and years ago from one of my bosses about the importance of over communication. 
And I tried to share that with our coaches. And, and I think over the long haul, our coaches did a wonderful job. There's still going to be those phone calls. There's still going to be those emails. And when they do come up, whether it's that, you know, 16 page email that you get, it, you look at the timestamp, it came at, you know, 1235 AM. Um, you know, when those come or you've got that voice uh, uh, message from a parent, call them back, you know, don't email them back, uh, call them back, say, Hey, I, I got your email. What's up. And a lot of the time it, it, they just want to be heard. And at the end of the conversation, it was always, I really appreciate you sharing. I appreciate you coming in. Um, this is what we are going to do. And, you know, they might not agree with that. Um, but at the same time, they've been heard. You listen to them uh, and you still, you know, maintain your integrity as a program. And then the, the times like, you know, the coach did something, said something, did something, didn't do something and, and were in the wrong. Hey, you got to own it. You know, you know, Mrs. Smith, I'm really sorry. Appreciate you sharing. You know, let me follow up. I follow up with the coach and the coach, yeah, I, I, whatever I did, I go, well, you know, you're going to have to make this right. And whether that's the coach calling them or we have a meeting and I sit there and the coach falls on their sword. Uh, again, I, I tell my coaches, make it easy for me to support you. Okay? Uh, I'm always going to support you, but make it easy for me. Uh, you know, don't be, you know, doing crazy stuff that, uh, you know, you and I are both going to have to talk to my boss about why this happened. You know, uh, Jake, there's a lot of things that as an ADA you have to do, right? I mean, there's, uh, it almost can seem like a laundry list, but sure. if you were an AD today, like what's the first thing you would prioritize and why? Well, when I became the athletic director at the McClay School in Tallahassee and uh, five years ago, well, I guess now six years ago, um, the, the McClay School is, I'm just going to say, it's the best private school in the state of Florida and probably one of the best private schools on the Atlantic coast. Um, long history of success academically, uh, long history of success in co-curricular activities and a tremendous, almost from day one, uh, history of success athletically. I think they're in their 55th or 56th year right now of being a school. And in that time, there's a lot of ways to measure success, but let's just be, you know, cynical and, and talk about wins and losses. Uh, in that 56 years, they've got, uh, I've lost count. I think it's 37 state team championships in multiple, multiple sports and another 26 or 27 state runner-ups. So they're either first or second at state, you know, more than every year. Uh, when I arrived, uh, like I said, six years ago, um, my first day on the job was uh, July 1st. Uh, I got to Tallahassee late May and I, I joke, I had something like 26 meetings prior to my first day on the job. But uh, uh, one of the first things I did that summer is I sent an email out to every single uh, coach. And uh, I said, you know, I introduced myself. A lot of them had already met me through the interview process. Um, and I said, hey, um, I'm here this summer. You know, come on in. You know, we just want to get to know you and, and find out how I can help you. I, I think I've just phrased it that way. How can I help you? Um, every single head coach came in over the summer. And the first thing I asked them was, how can I make your job more fun? 
Okay. And, and these were coaches who had in many cases, you know, been there for 30 plus years. They'd won multiple state championships. And to a person, they said, nobody's ever asked us that before. Okay. And, and I was coming in as a full-time athletic director. I wasn't coaching a sport. I wasn't teaching. And some of them, well, many of them were full-time teachers. A couple of them coached a second sport. And there were things that I had found out that they were having to do, you know, administrative things that at some of my other schools, you know, I, I did even when I was also the head football coach and teaching a couple courses in, in strength and conditioning. So uh, I said, you know, if you want to schedule, go ahead and keep scheduling, keep me in the loop, let me know so I can do the buses and all that stuff. Uh, but uh, tell me who you want to play. I'll call their coach. I'll call their AD. I'll make all the arrangements. So I tried to take scheduling off their board uh, and, and it, administering the rosters, uploading them to our state, um, you know, platform. You know, they had been a, assigned to do that and there was no need for it. It, it was AD stuff. Um, and they were obviously, you know, very uh, thankful to have those things taken off their plate. I said, I want you to coach the kids. You know, I don't want you worrying about this. I don't want you out fundraising. You tell me, what do you need? You know, we need uniforms. We need warmups, whatever you need. Uh, we've got a advancement uh, uh, department that can raise, you know, you're trying to raise a thousand dollars. They're trying to raise a hundred thousand dollars. So tell me what you need. Um, if you need it, we'll get it. If you want it, we might have to wait till next year. But we talked about needs versus wants. And we also talked about desires. You know, what do you, what if we could really get you something crazy? What would it be? And we were able to get some of those things. So again, it went back to uh, what would I prioritize? What would I do first? I'd go to those coaches and say, how can I make your job more fun? So of the 20 tools that you described for, you know, for success in the book that you've written and you've talked about different types of things, what would be like, say, your top three that you would, you know, tell people that, hey, these are three musts that you must do to have success as an administrator? Well, the, the top 20 tools, um, as you know, really the, the top 20 categories of tools, because we had so many um, in those uh, first 150 interviews uh, there. And, and I think I say this in the book that they are all important. Uh, they are all, you know, I think keys to success. For me, I've already alluded to one of the most important, and I would say that it's the, the tool of listening, uh, you know, listen to your student athletes, you know, listen to your coaches, listen to your parents, uh, uh, listen to, you know, the people that are going to have impact in your program, listen to those uh, wise ADs that have uh, made all those mistakes over the years like me, and uh, listen to those brand new ADs that are uh, just on the job for the first time that are seeing the job and seeing kids with fresh eyes. Um, you know, we talk about coaching a generation Z kid versus, um, you know, back in the day, you know, when I was, uh, you know, I went to high school in the first half of the seventies and college in the second half of the seventies. So, uh, uh, you know, that's, you know, my memory as a high school and college athlete, uh, which is, you know, hardly z any application to today's experience for, uh, for a student athlete today. So again, listening, um, I, I think, being able to see things globally, and I put that under the heading of organization, which is one of our tools. Uh, I've 
I, I've got that uh, ability, if you will. I have that tool. Uh, I can see things globally and I can dive into the minutia, you know, whether it's a schedule, uh, a budget, um, just uh, an architectural diagram, uh, being able to organize your day, your week, your career. And then I guess the, the third tool, it, it kind of goes in with something else I've already talked about is it, it's not about the X's and O's. It's about the Jimmy's and the Joe's and the Jane's. Uh, it's the kids. It's the relationships that you're able to build as a teacher, as a coach, as an AD. And an AD is, is both a teacher and a coach. Um, having that ability to relate to people, um, put yourself in their shoes, uh, extending that a little bit, uh, having empathy when needed. Um, you know, I, I think those would be the three biggest ones for me. You know, Jake, like you just mentioned, um, being relatable, you know, and sometimes it's hard to be relatable to teenagers, especially the farther you get away from teenage life. Right. You know I mean? So what are some ways, you know, coaches, athletic directors who, you know, have not been in the same world as, especially today, their teenagers are experiencing something completely different. How can we become more relatable where they, they trust us? They, they, you know, know we have their best interests. What are some ways to build those strong relationships with our players, with the, with the athletes in our programs? Well, I, I think on that, you know, it, that was one of the greatest frustrations for me as an AD is that, when I was a coach, when I was a head football coach or track coach, you know, I have uh, have my team, and you know, you have your student athletes right there, and it's much easier to develop those closer relationships, you know, with those team members. When you're an athletic director, you're that one level and sometimes two levels removed because you don't want to be stepping on your coach's toes, um, you know, with their athletes. But so I, I think one way that an athletic director can do it and it's become very popular and it needs to become more popular is somehow creating and developing these student athlete leadership committees or uh, leadership teams, you know, allowing your student athletes to flex their leadership muscles and contribute to the success of the program. And there's a million different ways to do it, but, uh, creating that leadership council and then hopefully uh, helping them come up with some good ideas that can then be implemented. And so the, the students that are actually out there, you know, coming to practice every day, going to school every day, you know, making those sacrifices to wear the colors of your school, they feel that buy-in with uh, the program. And uh, it was something that was completely foreign to me as it was first being presented uh, and I would see it and it, it took me a while to be able to buy in. Uh, but it, it's without question, I think one of the best ways to engage with students and, and give them a voice that again, this generation is, is craving. Well, you know this, I mean, as a coach, we want leaders. I mean, give me a whole team of leaders, right? And you mentioned like the leadership council, are there anything, any other things that you've seen, uh, maybe strategies or techniques that coaches have used that help develop more leaders within their program that you would suggest other coaches to implement as well? 
Well, again, you, you, the, all the cliches about, you know, when the, when the coach is, is leading it, it's good. When the players are leading it, it's great. And it's, it's very true. It, it's just that delicate balance. Um, there, there used to be a tradition uh, or forever. There was a tradition that uh, your seniors were going to be the captains. When you became a senior, you know, you got to be a captain and not every kid, not every senior has that, let's say, positive leadership tool in their toolbox. And so your best leaders might be in a four-year setting, you know, might be that sophomore. Rarely it might be a freshman that just comes in. We had one at our school a couple of years ago. This kid was, he was a tremendous athlete as a ninth grader, but he just had that um, Energizer Bunny uh, personality and attitude that you just were drawn to him, and he had the uh, the maturity, if you will, even as a ninth grader, to lead in a positive way. So, um, letting those kids um, excel and and do what they do best, taking advantage of their tools instead of saying, "Oh, geez, sorry, Billy, you're just a freshman. You know, you need to wait." Um, you know, I, I think coaches that have those kids in their program, regardless of the sport, you know, you, you need to utilize them and help kids that might be on the cusp uh, of leadership. They haven't quite figured it out yet. Uh, giving them an idea, uh, giving them some ideas on how they can become leaders, too. That's the one thing, too. I talked to a lot of parents and, you know, parents can help their children become leaders as well. I see it at times where I'll have a parent be like, oh, my son or my daughter cannot be a leader. And I'm like, no, that's that's what you're saying. But they they can be a leader. Um, you know, like they talk about like 30 percent of it's born with characteristics, like 70 percent. You can learn what I guess I want to get into, like your conversation with parents, what you see through the years. What would you tell parents like, hey, here's ways that you can help your child be self-sufficient to take care of certain things, become a leader of themselves? And also, what are the ways that you suggest parents to navigate their child through sports so that a, a coach having a good experience, administrators, the players, but actually the player, their son or daughter is learning valuable lessons through the sport they're playing? Yeah, I mean, it's it's so easy for me having gone through that. And uh, I hope I don't have selective memory uh, with how I was as a, a sports dad. Um, but we, we talk to parents about, uh, support your kid, um, tell them, and it, this is so cliche, but it's so true. I love watching you play and leave it at that. Uh, we talk to parents, uh, and encourage them to let go of your kid, let them have their sport experience. Uh, you know, the term helicopter parent, uh, was replaced with um, a lawnmower parent. That's been replaced with bulldozer parent, you know, trying to remove any obstacle or any challenge or any sort of possible hardship uh, from their kid's path um, with good intentions, but not understanding it's through meeting those challenges and overcoming those challenges that we all grow and, and become the best version of, of who we're going to be. Uh, and, and that's, you know, the, I don't want to say it's the never ending battle, but it's the, the, the challenge that you talk about of, you know, letting, 
you know, the, the, the kid have the experience. Um, I'm part of the, you know, the NIAAA's um, faculty program, and we have a brand new course that is unveiling next month at the national conference. And it's been in the making for over two years. And when we first met as a faculty, there are about nine of us, um, we were coming up, trying to come up with a name for the course and, you know, the challenging parents and, and all of that were ideas that were talked about. The name of the course is not dealing with challenging parents. The name of the course is partnering with parents because today's parents, they're not like my mom and dad back in the seventies. My mom and dad knew um, my head coaches. Uh, it was a small, it was a big school, but it was a small town. And they knew who the coach was. They could see him in the grocery store and, and say, you know, hey, and, you know, they knew who my parents were. Not that they were important, but they knew who they were. But I don't think they had any conversation at all my entire high school career with any of my high school coaches beyond maybe that casual, how's it going in the grocery store? The parents today, that's not the experience and it's not the expectation. Parents expect to have those, uh, that input. And so again, it goes back to, you know, what I said, you know, communicating, this is how we do things. Um, and if there's a way to communicate with the coach, we've, we've already talked about it. Um, you know, we don't say coaches are off limits, but you know, we say, this is how we do things. So it's, it's partnering with them, but partnering on, these are our terms. Yeah. And I love, like when I first started coaching, you know, this is like, 28 about 29 years ago it was more like you know separation from the parents like you said i mean i'm doing it a certain way and don't bother me whatever but exactly. as i yep. journey through coaching it's been more of like partnering together more of the village mentality like i want to help your child become better through the sport that i'm coaching and I, i'm a big believer in that we have to be consistent in how we behave at home how we behave at school and in our extracurricular activities so I'll do like kind of self-growth reflections at home and, and communicate with the parents. I'll be kind of the bad cop and tell the kids, these are things you need to start doing at home, right? Because I want these habits to be positive habits. So I think there's ways that we can work together with the parents. The other thing I think, can you speak to this is like, I think a lot of parents, we live vicariously through our kids, right? Absolutely. The things that we weren't able to do like, oh, my kid is going to do this now. And I get it. Like I coach basketball. And I get people, I have two younger sons, an eight-year-old and a six-year-old. They're like, oh, your kid's going to play basketball and he's going to do this and that. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what he's going to do. If he plays basketball, great. If he doesn't, I mean, he'll figure something else out. Yeah, no, no it, you're, it's so true. And, and that's, you know, I think human nature. You know, we, we love our kids. You know, we want the best for them. Uh, and sometimes we, we do a, a better job with other kids kid, other parents' kids than our own kids. But uh, it, it always comes back to, you know, this is how we roll. Um, for example, you know, middle school, um, we would have uh, three middle school boys basketball teams uh, because we had that many kids come out. If we had more, we would have had a fourth team and I would have had to find a fourth coach. Um and we, we talked about our philosophy that, you know, we are going to have starters, we are going to have subs, but we won't have, uh, and I stole this from another coach years and years ago, I said, we won't have 30, 30, 30 kids. 
And the first time they'd hear it, the parents are going, well, what's a 30, 30, 30 kid? And I would tell them uh, when I was in high school, I was a 30, 30, 30 kid. That meant I got in the game. If we were 30 points ahead, 30 points behind, or there were 30 seconds left. Okay. We will not have 30, 30, 30 kids. And it was a, a fun way to let them know that playing time was important, but I would also say this, it's always going to be fair, but it's never going to be equal. I don't want to see you up in the stands with a clipboard and a stopwatch, you know, uh, charting who gets in and who doesn't get in. And then separately, I would tell our coaches, again, this is middle school. Um, there's two schools that we want to beat. You know, we want to beat this school and we want to beat this school. The rest, you know, if we beat them, that's great. Uh, get those kids in the game. Uh, especially home games, you know, get little Billy in there and let his parents see that. And it wasn't to embarrass the kid, but let the parents see what you see every day in practice, that he struggles to bring the ball up the court against pressure, that he can't inbound the ball. Um, and let them see what you see. Um, and at the same time, in practice, you better be coaching the heck out of that kid and letting him know exactly what he needs to do to get better, which in the kid's eye is get more playing time. You know, Billy, I love your hustle, but you got to stop traveling. You know, when you catch that ball, jump, stop, drop your butt, pivot right and left, okay, and then dribble or pass. As soon as you do that, you're going to see some more minutes. And that way on the ride home, Billy can tell his parents, you know, hey, coach says I've got a good hustle, but I got to work on my um, jump stops. Uh, it's just those little battles uh, or those little conversations uh, can be, um, the battles can be avoided, uh, through those conversations with the kids, um, so that they can share with their parents. It, it's not going to be perfect. You're still going to have those emails and those phone calls, but just having that communication in place, this is how we roll and make sure your coaches are backing you up by coaching the heck out of those kids. I know Jason has something he wants to get into you with, but I, I want to, you said the 30, 30, 30. I haven't mm -hmm. heard that before, but I remember this, like I tell people in football, right? I played end, guard, and tackle, right? Sat at the end of the bench, guard the water bucket, and tackle anybody got close to, right? Close <laughs> to 30, 30, 31, right? I like that. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, um, Jake, if you were, uh, you know, if you could go back 40 years, like I say you were just starting, what advice would you give yourself just starting out? Like, you know, you have all this, you know, four decades of knowledge, but you could go back and say, hey, Jake, these are the things I want you to know as you go into this profession. What would you tell your, a younger version of your own self? Oh, my goodness. Um, I, I think the, the, the most glaring one would be to listen more and, and talk less. Uh, I, uh, you know, I'm... People would say, you know, Jake, you're really confident. And, and yeah, I'm confident. 40 years ago, I was cocky. Okay. And so I, I think I grew from that into, you know, confidence, confident enough to know that I didn't know all the answers. It's like that John Wooden quote, you know, you really start to learn when you realize you don't know everything. Um, so, you know, listening and, and, you know, trying to be uh, a better coach for the kids as opposed to a better coach for Jake, uh, I think would be the, the, the biggest things that uh, I would, you know, slap my younger self around for. Yeah. You know, it's uh, I always, uh, I, like, I like the saying of like, Hey, I'm confident in what I know, but I'm also confident that I need to know more. Right. It's kind of like, you know, right. like being, 
being confident in what you know because you want to have confidence, but you also know like, hey, there's a lot of stuff that I can I can learn along the way as well. Um, Absolutely. Well, Jake, you know, we always finish the the episode with the four lightning round questions. So these are four questions that we always ask our guests um, with simple answers. Um, and so that's how we always finish out. So the first one is this. It's called the four cues with 40 athletes. What is the best life lesson sports has taught you? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I guess I would say that hard work does pay off. Um, I think I was... Uh, an average natural uh, athlete uh, and, you know, being encouraged and seeing other people, you know, get in the weight room and, you know, go out for track and, you know, continue to, to train uh, you know, that's where I, I was able to have some success and be able to see that a kid, whether it's an eighth grader or a junior that, is, you know, that tall, lanky kid or the short, squatty kid that um, they're not that natural blue chip athlete, but say, hey, you know, I know exactly where you're at. I know exactly what you're thinking. And this is what worked for me. And, and you know, trying to speak their language that way. So just, you know, the, the benefits of hard work. And I, I guess that probably came as much uh, from coaches and also from the example my dad set uh, in his work ethic, uh, that, you know, Hey, hard work does pay off. Yeah. Uh, that's a good, that's a good, uh, life lesson to learn for anybody for sure. Um, now question number two, if you could spend time with anyone in sports, uh, you admire passed away, alive, fictional, non-fictional, who would it be? And why would you pick them? Oh gosh, this is, I mean, this is one of those, uh, deep dive personality tests, uh, questions. Um, I guess, you know, keeping it, um, sport wise, uh, growing up in the Pacific Northwest, uh, born and raised in Oregon. Uh, I think I would have, uh, uh I, I think I would very much enjoyed being able to sit down with, um, Steve Prefontaine, the great, uh, distance runner from uh, the University of Oregon that uh, died so young. Um, you know, when he ran the Olympics in 72, I was a sophomore in high school and just uh, the excitement, the drama, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it right now. Uh, I, I just would have loved to, with my perspective now, you know, as a, you know, college athlete and coach and AD and, and parent, uh, just would love to be able to uh, sit down with him and pick his mind a little bit. Uh, probably, you know, one of the the toughest competitors uh, of any sport uh, that the world's ever known. That's a, yeah, you, I've been to Eugene. It's a pretty place, especially when you go and you look at some of the historical place regard Steve. And then like where the first shoe, the track shoe and the waffle iron, all that was made. It's, it's really cool going back to how Nike was kind of created and those moments. So, yeah. We haven't had him mention. Yeah, that's the first he, time. He yeah. 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 Okay. Um, the third question is this. What is the best advice you've ever received from a coach you played for or worked for? Goodness gracious. I, I mentioned earlier that I was, uh, I, I've been blessed um, throughout my career. Um, I, I, this, this is the first thing that popped into my head. Um, and I don't know if it's the best, but I, I think it's something that I've never forgotten. Um, 
college uh, assistant college football coach. We're in a staff room and um, one of the younger GAs or one of the GAs, they were a young coach, um, was griping about um, the recruits of, you know, that year, you know, boy, you know, you know, these, these guys and just really just blasting uh, maybe not our entire recruiting class, but, you know, their position and, you know, basically said, maybe you can bleep this out later, you know, that these guys are, are, are just these freshmen, they're just a bunch of shit. And um, the head coach, um, you know, just calmly said, um, well, you know, they may be shit, but there are shit because we recruited them. Your job is to make them better, coach them up. And uh, it just really, you know, struck me. Uh, I, I thought he was going to rip the guy's head off, but uh, uh, very calmly, but very firmly, you know, stated the philosophy of, you know, hey, you know, if they were, and we talked about it later on in a separate conversation, if they were, uh, division one blue chip athletes, you know, they wouldn't be here. Okay. They'd be at another school, but they're here. We are NAI program. Um, you recruited them, coach them up. And it just really, really resonated with me later on as a head coach at some, let's say some smaller schools, uh, where we didn't have those blue chip kids. Um, Hey, these are our kids, you know, let's coach them up, you know, let's make them the best that they can be. Yeah, and I agree with that. Like sometimes I see it where coaches get, you know, athletes in the program and they're not doing as well winning on the scoreboard and they always blame who? The players. Right, the players aren't good enough. We need to get better players. And my challenge sometimes to coaches is, do you need to become a better coach? Exactly. Do you need to develop your coaching philosophy, become better and make the people better around you so everyone becomes better. So um, the last question I have for you is this, is if you had one character trait or life skill, that you were maybe recruiting or had an athlete, you're kind of part of your program or a coach that was going to work within your organization, what would it be? Oh, I guess it would be, and I don't know what the word would for this would be, but just that um, the desire to get better, right? that, you know, they've got that internal motor that, you know, they want to, you know, be the best that they can be. And if, if they do that, if they get better at whatever they do, you know, if they're a quarterback, they're a lineman, if they're a pole vaulter, you know, if they get better, they're going to make the team better. Almost like that growth mindset, like I um, have a desire to grow, become better, right? Mm -hmm. Like that. Yeah. Well, Jake, uh, you know, thank you again for joining us today. Uh, tell us where we can learn more about your podcast and where can we find uh, your book? Well, um, I guess if somebody wants to reach out, my my email uh, is Jake's Touchdown, all one word, Jake's Touchdown at gmail.com. Uh, that's my Twitter handle as well, Jake's Touchdown. Uh, the podcast is called the Educational AD Podcast. It's on all of the uh, carriers. Uh, we present uh, new content. We try to present new content four times a week. We do two in-depth interviews that usually air on Mondays and Fridays. And then we have two other regular features. On Tuesday, we have what's called the Mentoring Minute. Uh, just a real quick nugget from one of our master athletic directors here in Florida. And then on Thursday, we offer team building tips. It's a little bit deeper dive into a, a couple of 
different topics for coaches, for ADs, and for different leaders. And we'll have special features uh, throughout the week. So anywhere you hear your podcasts, uh, you can find the Educational AD Podcast. We also upload the Zoom recordings onto our YouTube channel, which is the Educational AD Podcast. Uh, the book that you held up, the Athletic Director's Toolbox, is a collection of the first 150 interviews. One of our segments is called the Athletic Director Toolbox. And uh, we ask our guests to give three uh, suggestions that they would put into a brand new Athletic Director's Toolbox. And we had a total of about 475 total suggestions in those first 150 interviews. And I uh, put them into 20 different categories. So the top 20 categories are the top 20 tools for success. It's available on Amazon. It's just $9.99. And uh, you know, we, we've really been pleased with the response, both the podcast and the book. So Thanks again, hey, Jake. Hey, Jake, you got more tools in your toolbox and uh, tools that uh, Lowe's has in the store, man. Right? <laughs> Lowe's and Home Depot combined. Got the tools. Well, the, there's even more coming, James. Uh, we are currently on episode, I think it's like 218. And so we, we have 68 additional episodes that are not in that first toolbox, but the next 150 episodes that we do, um, those tools will be in the second edition of the book. And that's probably going to be coming out in the summer of 2022. So uh, maybe we can get your tools in that toolbox. Congrats on all that. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks again, Jake. And, uh, you know, we'll be in touch with you soon again. And uh, Best of luck with your uh, with the podcast, with the book. And, you know, thanks for helping educate all of us in the sports world to make our programs better. Oh, absolutely. And thanks so much to you. You guys are, are doing it yourself. You're doing a great job. Uh, you know, please continue to do that. I, I, when I was starting out as an AD, um, the professional development and uh, educational opportunities were extremely hard to find. And now uh, you guys are, are just part of a great group of folks that are uh, putting content out there to help coaches and athletic directors do their job better. So thank you for all that you guys do. Yeah. Anytime. We'll nice be in touch soon, Jake. Yeah. Have a great uh, rest of your Wednesday. It's Wednesday. Yes. You too. Thanks guys. Take care. Thanks. Thanks Jake. Well, Jimmy, you know, many athletic directors are looking for ways to improve their program, support their coaches, players, and athletes, and even make their parents better along the way. So at 40 Athletes, we've actually developed online content to help programs become better in all areas, not just sports. Jimmy, where can they learn more about what we're doing at 40 Athletes? They go to 40athletes.com. And again, if they have a team or a program that uh, they're looking to want to implement, you know, kind of life skills and character we talked about to help their athletes win the game of life, then they could, you know, book a discovery call session we can kind of discuss with them how we can you know partner with them to be able to do that yeah absolutely jimmy well um man another episode where a lot to unpack but a lot of great stuff put in there so uh jimmy enjoy the rest of your wednesday and uh next week we're actually going live on monday with a soccer coach that's teaching us about how to find your purpose as a coach which i think is very important to know why you're coaching why you're doing it i look forward to it yeah all right jimmy all right, Jason. Thank you, buddy. Take care.